Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. We're excited to be jumping into week two. Uh, of a series we've entitled Heart for the House. Now, Heart for the House is our way of unpacking over four weeks uh, the core values of Radiant Life Church. And so last week we kicked it off uh, with we value love and because we value love, what does that mean? Does anybody remember? Huh? People matter. Let's go. Come on. There you go. Because we value love, people matter. Everyone matters. Just open up the Bible, you'll see that everyone matters. And so for us, if you're like, man, how do we put these in order? Again, I shared last week, I'm not sure how we came up with this uh, acronym, but it's LUPA. Uh, So LUPA, love, and then U is unity. So today we're going to be talking about the value of unity. And now I shared last week, I'll probably share it every week, just in case, you know, for those of you that are guests, going, okay, so you're going to unpack values. So you're going to be talking about worship and missions and evangelism and discipleship and prayer those are non-negotiables in scripture. They're, they're, they're never changing, right? They were written, it's, it's in stone, it, it's, it's a done deal. And so for us, those are non-negotiables. We're going to do all of those things. I want you to think through the values. Values are, if I'm serving, what are the behaviors that are gonna be noticeable, right? Here's the filter, the lens in which we use these values, all right? So today we're gonna be looking at how we value unity and because of that, we are better together. And what that means is we rally together for common goals. All throughout, all throughout the world, like if, you, if you're at a football stadium, a basketball stadium, and someone holds up the, uh, a big sign that says John 3.16, everyone sees that. Majority of people see that and go, oh, that has to do with the love of Jesus. They may not be able to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that, that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. They may not know that, but what it is a representation or a signal to is that Jesus loves them. And, and, it's, and I want everyone to know that Jesus loves them. I think the world hears Jesus loves them, but do they see from our lives and our actions that Jesus loves them? You see, there's a big difference between holding up a sign that says John 3.16 and loving your neighbor according to John 3.16. And so it has to be something we say, but it also has to be an action from our heart. And so when we say we're going to rally together for common goals, the common goal, the unifier in all of this that we'll be sharing today is Jesus. It's his love. We also say we strive to be the best for the team, not the best on the team. We need to be the best for the team and not just the best on the team. Like, oh man, I I made it to the all-star game. I love that. I I hope we all make it to the all-star game. But are we taking the whole team with us to the all-star game because we're best for the team and not just best on the team? So let's look at Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six. Uh, We're gonna be looking at a lot of Ephesians four, but I wanna just share with you (coughs) uh, from Ephesians four, verse one through six. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So this means, do you hear that? A life, it's a living life. It's, It's not a... Somebody else should do this. It's, it's us. It's, it's, it's a life that's lived worthy of the calling you have received. We all have a calling. We all have a purpose. Verse two says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I love that the text starts off with, hey, this is, this is something I'm asking of you, but I want you to see 
what I'm asking of you. Here's how it can be played out practically in your life. And that's with humbleness and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There are few things that are more important as a Christian than learning how to walk in unity with others, right? It is, it is a, man, I'm not only gonna tell you I love you, but I'm gonna show you I love you because I'm gonna come together with unity. Even though we may disagree on something, we can still be unified over the mission. We can still be unified because Christ is who is unified us together. You see, Jesus prayed it in John chapter 17, right? So I love this. This is, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can look at John 17 chapter 17, Jesus is praying. It's all in red. That's how you know it's Jesus. All right. So it's all in red. So in the book of John in the new Testament, this is Jesus. He's going to pray for himself. He's going to pray for his disciples, long prayer for his disciples. But then he does, he takes it a step further. He prays for you and me. Like 2000 years ago, we were on his heart. And here's what it says, because now he's saying, man, I'm going to, I pray for the disciples, but it's more than just the disciples. In verse 20, it says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. He says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How will the world know that, that Jesus was sent? By the presence of him in our lives, the unity, the oneness. It says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. So you think about the relationship, the triune God, the Trinity right there, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You think about the cohesiveness of that relationship. And he's saying that relationship, the way that we are in each other, I want them to be that. It says, I and them, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So as the father has loved the son, may we love each other in the world so that they may see that unity together. So Jesus prays for it, Ephesians 2, Jesus dies for it. And then Ephesians 4, we're seeing how to live out this unity. So this morning, I wanna give you five truths about unity, five truths. If you're taking notes, number one is this, is unity must be maintained. It is a gift from God. It is, it is something that we need to maintain and not create. Ephesians 4 says that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Notice Paul, the author, okay? We see the author of Ephesians. He doesn't say that we need to create it or manufacture it. He doesn't say we have to find it or by ourselves produce it, but maintain it because it was already created for us. Now, here's what I love about that is we don't have to make it happen we need to keep it happening. It's not up to you. It's by you and through you that you continue to make it happen. Peace is possible. Unity is possible. And isn't it great that unity wasn't created off of what we know is best? Because we're like, oh, I know what's best. I know what's best for me. I know what's best for my family. I know what's best. I know what would be better than what God said. No, it was created for us by what he said. Now we live through it by what he said. Because here's the thing that I know is for us, there's times in our life where maybe, maybe our moral compass gets off a little bit, right? It should be pointing true north. And sometimes we're like, ah, we're gonna head a little bit east. Sometimes like, ah, we'll go a little bit west. And so it gets off a little bit. So if, if unity was based upon us, then sometimes it may go left or right. But unity isn't about us. Unity is about him. He created it. 
And now we get to maintain it because it's around him and it's about him and it's through him. The second truth this morning is unity for one another grows over time. It will grow over time. Verse three begins with the stress, right? And we read it of, of maintaining it. But if you go down to verse 13, it says, until we all attain to the unity and faith and knowledge of the son of God. So what Paul is saying is that unity is not something that's static. It doesn't just stay. You just don't arrive and achieve it and go, look, this is it. It's perfect. It's not like we just get to show up and go, listen, Pastor Lance, we hear it. Like we're in the pre-service meetings. It's all over the walls. Like we value, we value unity and we're better together. We get it. Stop talking about it. No, it's something that, is, that it has movement. There is a forward progression. It's not something we just attain. It grows. And it grows because we find ourselves consistently building each other up. And what I mean by that is we're looking for common ground. Did you know that there is more that unites us than, than separates us, than divides us? I mean, all you have to do is, is read. When you read this, it's for you, but it's also for the person next to you. It's for you and it's for the person that's lost. It's for you and it's for the entire world. So what unites us is all right here. What divides us is all right there. Because we feel like our interest is more important than the interest of others. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But there's so much when we go, man, what are the common goals? What are we going after? You see, unity grows because we see value in other people. Did you know that the person next to you is a masterpiece? The scripture defines each and every one of us as being fearfully and wonderfully made. The creator of the world has fashioned us, informed us. He's the one with the chisel, right? Sharpening us and pruning us so that we look more like him and less like us. We're all created in his image, which means we are his masterpiece. He didn't mess up. He doesn't make junk. And so we see value in other people. Because we see value in other people, then we're always growing in unity. We're looking for things. It grows because we focus on the mission. See, the mission of Radiant Life Church is real relationship, life-changing community. So when we're focused on the mission, what God has for us, we know that the relationship, if you've given your life to Jesus and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you, you've walked that experience, you've lived that experience where you said, yes, I want you to be Lord of my life. You see, because I've asked him to be Lord of my life, because I've surrendered my life to the Lord and I know what that feels like, I know the freedom in the, in the experience that I've had over 27 years of following Jesus. I go, man, I want others to know that too. I want others to feel that. I want others to embrace what I've been able to embrace, the hope that I have the security that I have, the freedom that I have. It's not like when we grab it and you're like, no, man, this is just a bunch of rules and regulations. No, this, this is freedom. Amen. And do we receive it as that? And so because of that, the mission, man, we grow in unity because we're focused on making sure that we're living our life in a way that others would see Jesus, that they would hunger and desire to have a relationship with Jesus the way that we have a relationship with Jesus. And God loved me so much when he found me, but he loved me too much to leave me there. And so over 27 years, you see this progression of growth and life change. And so because that I've experienced this life change, that means I'm continually growing in unity. Because, because I'm getting to know him more, I'm decreasing, he's increasing. My capacity to love people is growing. And because my capacity to love people is continually growing, that means I'm growing in unity because man, what, what would have, it just made me so angry 10 years ago. I now have a grace that I didn't have then, that I didn't understand then. I didn't, I didn't comprehend then. So it means that we focus on the mission so we keep growing in unity. It grows because we learn to love the way that Christ has loved us. 
the way that he loves me, the way that he loves you allows me and encourages me and inspires me and hopefully inspires you to love people the way that he has loved you. Did you know it's hard to be angry with someone when Christ is not angry with you? That was a pin dropping. Those online, let me repeat this for you, not for the people in the room. It's hard to be angry when, with, with someone when Christ is not angry with you. He's not mad. And you're like, no, 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 no. But I need to treat other people because I'm mad. No. And so it's hard when, when we've experienced that love not to be the giver of that type of love. Number three, if you're taking notes, is unity is most often divided by our pride. Pride is the killer of unity. Any, anyone ever have someone poo-poo on your parade? Some of you are like, can you say poo-poo from the platform? Well, I did. We can't edit it, so it's out there. It's out, word vomit's gone, right? Where you have this, you got this idea. You, you're like, man, I'm gonna be like, I, this could be so good and I'm gonna celebrate this and everybody's gonna be excited. And all of a sudden you present this idea and then somebody poo-poos on your parade and you're like, what happened? And now what was unifying is, is, is now created a divide because of our pride. In Ephesians 4, it says that we should be humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another. And it says we maintain this unity by those attributes. So can we be humble enough to replace our desires for others? Can we put Jesus at the center? Right, when Jesus is at the center, it means that there's not enough room for me because he's occupying the space. We are not the center of the gospel. When we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right, the gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, our names are not mentioned, but Jesus is. So he, he's the central character. He's the, he is the theme. It's his love. And so because of that, we know, we know for us that it's about him who unifies. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, the word one is listed seven times. You see, you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see the triune God. You see the Trinity listed right there, but they are all working together because it's him who unifies. He's bringing this unity together, and so we see it in him. Because when it's all about him, it's impossible to be about me. When it's all about him, it's impossible to be about me. When I'm focused on what he wants for me, it's hard to be focused on what I want for me. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't have desires. But do our desires lead us closer to or pull us further away from the person of Jesus? And so unity is most often divided by our pride. Number four, if you're taking notes, is unity grows under pressure. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. So you see the growth? You see the growth that's taking place? In every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together for every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love and each part does its work. There is a process of growth that takes place, but, but sometimes it's the pressure that leads to that growth. Pressure in life can inspire us to seek peace in our life. Right? When we're under pressure and we're feeling like the, the tension in our life, does it lead us to lean into the person who offers peace? And then what do we receive from that, that pressure? Understand, like when you, when you think about it, this doesn't sound that easy. Unity is, is hard sometimes. But you see what happens from that pressure. It's like a construction project. Have you ever done a construction project? And you make, a, you make a detailed list and you go to the store and you buy everything you need, but then you make 17 more trips to the same store. 
And then you find out once you get behind the wall, there's something else behind the wall. And then you got to do this. And then you got to call in this. And then you find termites and you're like, I don't even, why, this project should have taken two hours and we're on week two. It's not always easy. But when you're finished, what do you see? You're like, man, that looks really good. Look at that project being completed. It's the same way with the pressure in our lives. We, we, may not, we feel the tension, but what's the finished product going to look like? Right? It, it's like diamonds. Did you know that diamonds are under the duress of approximately 725,000 pounds per square inch of pressure? That they are heated up in, in the Earth's core at 2,000 to 2,200 degrees of Fahrenheit. And that's how be, diamonds begin to form. It's about pressure. Right? So, so what makes them so beautiful and what makes them so strong is the pressure and the intense heat. Then the carbon is crystallized over years and then what it produces, a beautiful diamond. It's the same in our lives. It's the, God uses the intensity of the crisis, the force of the adversity to rid us of anything that is impure. He gets, he gets the pure diamond from the pressure. He sees us, the pure diamond, sometimes from the pressure. That what we walk through because when we're done, at the end of it, what finally emerges that once was very dark and felt broken because of the experiences of life emerges the strongest and the brightest that you've ever been. I know that to be true. I've seen it. I've walked it. I've lived it. I could, I could share stories, and some of you have heard those stories, and so I'm not going to share them. But, but you know, like you've walked through times, and when those times are over and you see the finished project, Man, it's strong and it's beautiful because unity grows under pressure. Lastly, unity embraces diversity. So I finished in verse six, but in verse seven, Paul is talking about how important it is for the gifts to be used. And he's talking about the gifts being people because we, we are united. Every nation, every race, every language, and every culture. You see, it's the gospel. It's the gospel that unites the racist with the racial activist. It's the gospel that unites the killer with victim. It's the gospel who unites the, the unrighteous with the righteous, the self-righteous with the sinner. It conjoins those that are really close to God or those that are far off. It, it brings together those who have been church their whole life or those who may never experience church in any capacity. And why is that so important? Oh, all, everything is for whose glory? Mine or his? Everything is for his glory. It's not about me. It's not about you receiving the credit, but unity embraces diversity. It's, it's him teaching us, look what I'm doing in the local church, that I can bring every tribe, every tongue, every nation together, and there could be unity that we could walk in humbleness and gentleness and patience, that, that the church would look like what it's going to be in heaven. We are a multi-generational church. I love that. We have people who are in their 90s. I'm not going to tell you their names, but we have people who are nine days old in everything in between, right? The newest baby, I think, was born yesterday at Radiant Light Church, maybe. And then, and then we have somebody who's into their 90s, and you're like, man, and everybody in every generation in between that, hearing and experiencing and living out the gospel. I love that, that we're multi-generational, but we just don't want to be multi-generational. We want to be multi-ethnic, it's great to have a church that looks like heaven where not everybody's going to look like you. The language they speak may not be your language. 
But God embraces diversity with unity. So that's the five truths of unity. What I didn't share, what I shared last week, is last week I brought out that there are six behaviors to love. There's six behaviors for unity. So, so there's six more points because you got, more of an, you got a whole hour of sleep, which means I got to go a whole lot longer to preach. All right, so we're just gonna add to it. No, but here's the deal. Is I wanna share with you these behaviors and I said it last week, I probably say it every week. This is not about behavior modification. This isn't just changing for a moment. This is about spiritual transformation. That because we're fighting so hard for unity, there are behaviors that come out naturally. Because we're falling more in love with Jesus and we're saying, man, Jesus, how am I going to fight for unity the way that you have fought for unity? So real quick, six behaviors. Here's the first. Because we value unity, we're willing to build teams. And you're like, that's a behavior? Yes, build teams. Why? Ephesians 4, 16. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part. We are better together. We are, we're better together. I'll, I'll end the message and I'll show you how much better we are together. Here's how I know we're better together. So about every quarter, about every quarter we clean up our system uh, well, for people flow, which is called Alvanto. So if you serve and you get those emails, that's from our system, Alvanto. So we, we have categories for people. You are a guest, you are an occasional attender or you're a regular attender. All right, so we put people in those categories. And, and so about every quarter, we try to clean that up. And so there was 20 people who we cleaned up in that system. And so with that, I told the staff, I was like, hey, we got about 20 people that were moving from regular, occasional, and, and moving back to guests. And I, I said, hey, what do you think all 20 of those people have in common? So the staff began sharing, hey, maybe, maybe they, don't, they don't participate in a life group. That's a great way to build community and unity. Here's what all 20 had in common. Not one of them served in any capacity. Why do I share that? Because we are better together, which means we're building teams. If we're building teams, we need people to participate on those teams. And it's going to feel like a few short months where we're planting our next campus. And we're gonna, we're gonna be asking people to go, man, I wanna be a part of that church plant. But what needs to happen is we need to have enough teams to make sure that church plant launches healthy, but we need to make sure we have enough teams that when 60, 70, 80 people go to the next campus, that we don't go, what do we do now? No, we've already trained. That way there's people, people to fill right there in place because the best way to serve God is by serving others. We find purpose. All of us have been created for, for a purpose. And once we find that purpose, it's like being a puzzle. You are a piece of the puzzle. Do you know how frustrating it is to finish a puzzle and be missing one piece? Like, I'm gonna flip this table over. Like, no, Jesus is, the way Jesus did, that's me. My question to you would be this, is what piece of the puzzle are you? So because we value unity, we're willing to develop others. Hear me on this. It's a great behavior. We develop other people. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, so this part of the text, you're, you're seeing, right? As what's the day approaching? This is the return of Christ. Right, so many people, since what's been happening over in Israel and in, in the war with Hamas, are like, is this end times? Can I just let you know, if you look at maybe like the first five thoughts of scripture, are we living in the end times? Jesus fulfilled those 2,000 years ago. So we've been living in the end times since he gave his life. 
Are we living in the end time? Yes. Should we be encouraging people all the more as you see the day approaching, as the blessed hope, as the rapture would take place? The answer is yes. And so we need to develop others. We need to encourage others. You read the word spur. Do you think of cattle prodding or do you think of encouragement? The scripture is asking us to encourage. And so will we encourage with love? Did you know that making disciples is a biblical mandate? Right, that we are to go into, we're to make disciples. Go on over, we gotta make disciples. Make disciples, make disciples. That is not a church mandate. It's for the church as a mandate, but it's you. We all should be making disciples. Classrooms, I love the classroom setting. Midweeks, I love midweeks at RLC. A little plug there, join us Wednesdays at seven o'clock. Classrooms are great for helping make disciples. Do you know what's also great for making disciples? Relationships. Relationships are key. Getting to sit down with people over coffee. There are things in my life that were taught in a classroom. And I went, that was really good. And I got to take notes. But there also were things that I caught relationally. I didn't even know they were in here. Remember, I have no church experience. I was not raised in a church. I, didn't ever, I never went to Sunday school. So me reading this for the very first time is life-changing. But there were things that I went and sat with people and I learned from people. And I went, I wonder why they do that. Right? And I would look in the back because sometimes in some Bibles you get the cheater words and I would like, okay, what does that mean? Willingness, 2 Corinthians. And then I would go find it, right? And, and so I'm learning. And so there are things that are caught that aren't necessarily taught. So we disciple in relationships. Do we see in others what they may not see in themselves? Are we willing to see the good in other people and reel that in and say, man, I see so much potential. I see so much leadership. I see so much love. So my question would be is, do you desire to bring out the best in others? Number three, because we value unity and we're better together, we offer forgiveness. That's a great behavior. That's a great behavior to be willing to say, I forgive you. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. It doesn't say that everything, do you read the word bear? Bear sometimes seems like there may be some arguments or fights. Bear leads me into like, oh, there may be some tension in our relationships. Very good possibility. But as we bear with each other, we also forgive one another. If any of you, I love that it says, if any of you, not some of you, not one of you, but if any of you, including me, has a grievance against someone, then we should fight them. We should throw hands after church. If you don't like the message, I'll meet you in the parking lot. Come on, somebody. Right, the only thing standing between me and you is air and opportunity, let's go, right? No, that's not, we don't do that, what do we do? The scripture says, if we have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Holding a grudge, allowing bitterness to take root will only create disunity and not unity. Can I just, for a moment, what if, what if you're asking forgiveness, you're seeking the Lord and you're like, Lord, would you forgive me? And in that moment, just a clear voice speaks back, it's Monday. Do you know what you did this weekend? It was a long weekend for me. So because of that, I don't really feel like it this morning. Can you imagine Jesus' response to us asking for forgiveness was I don't feel like it? Could you imagine him saying, listen, it's just not the right time. I need, I need, I'm going to need a few more days. I'm going to need a few more, you know, come back to me in three months and maybe we'll re revisit this conversation. No, he forgives and because he forgives, we forgive. Are you willing to freely give what you have received? You've received the forgiveness. Are you willing to dispense of that forgiveness? 
Because we value unity, we're willing to focus on what is right. Proverbs eleven twenty seven: whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to one who searches for it. Did you know you could be a church critic? You could. You could just pick apart everything. You could, you could say, man, I'm, I wasn't sure. You know what I mean? Like, like, was the pulpit perfectly spaced between this wall and the center of this wall? Like, did they really find that? Like, you could walk down the halls with a white glove and just wipe a little bit and be like, mm, got a little dirt, preacher, fix it, right? You could, you could go and put a level on all of the picture frames. I dare you to do that. If, it, if you do, it means a kid touched it because I already fixed it once, all right? That's what that means, right? But, but, but here's the deal. You can be a critic. You could be a, a critic of worship and be like, I don't know. I'd rather have a piano and the keys. It just seemed a little bit manufactured. I'm not sure if I liked it. And then the harmonies, it should be four and not three parts. Three parts was, was good, but it wasn't like, ah, right? And, and then electric drums, Satan invented those. You should have acoustic drums. Like, like that's how you should do it. And you could be a critic. But do you know what helps us when we become critiques? Engagement. It's hard to critique something when you're engaged of the process of it, right? It's hard to be critical when you're participating. When your hands are lifted, your eyes are closed and your mouth is moving, you don't really care what's happening up here because you're not here for them. They're not here for you because there's only one mission that unites us together and that is Jesus. And so I throw up my hands. I'll throw up my hands. I'll praise you again and again. That's, that's, that's what we're here for. Well, if they... Right, you can be a critic, but what will help break that critique is when you engage in the process. Because you never know what others are walking through. Right, you don't know what people are going through. So focus on what's right. Focus on what's right. If your first thought is to evaluate, then maybe it should be to celebrate. Right, is your first thought to evaluate or celebrate. Number five, because we value unity is we pray for others. Colossians 1.9 says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, since the day I met you, since the day I heard your name, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge and wisdom and understanding that only the spirit gives. So do we pray for others that they would have knowledge and strength and wisdom and that they would, they would have endurance and patience? Because we don't know, you, you may not know what somebody else is walking through. You may not know their story. I, I, I grew up in Northridgeville, Ohio. Uh, I grew up in the same house and my neighbor across the street, they lived there the same length of time we did. They moved out and my parents still live there. But I grew up as a child in that neighborhood. My friend, uh, she's the same age as me, went to the same grade, same, same everything. And I, I've shared parts of this before that I wasn't always the, I didn't have manners as a kid. Right, so I would spend a lot of time over there. And what I meant, I didn't get invited over there. I just showed up over there. Right, because they had, we, I didn't grow up very, I didn't grow up having a lot of money. Like the house I grew up in was 900 square foot slab ranch. Like there's no basement, no attic, like bedroom was like eight by eight and I shared it with my little brother. But the house across the street, yo, they had a basketball hoop. I didn't have one. My driveway was like this single lane, cars could be, like when you opened the door, you stepped out into mud because the concrete was only wide enough for, for a car, right? So I was like, they got a basketball hoop. I played basketball my entire life. So I would go over there and play basketball. It was like my home court. <laughs> they had a pool. I didn't have a pool. They had four square painted perfectly with one, two, three, four in the corners. Like I would play four square with them. This was awesome. Like I loved this house. Her dad, my friend's dad built stilts for all the kids. Stilts. Some of you are like, what are stilts? 
like these wooden sticks. They're a couple feet high. And she'd be walking down the driveway and I'd be like, yo, and they'd have another pair. I thought they were mine. <laughs> right, and I'd go grab and I'd be walking down the driveway and doing all these crazy things. And they would have dinner and I would literally be peeking through the screen door like this. What's for dinner? And then Mrs. Roan, the mom, she would go, Lance, you need to go home. Why? I don't have food at home. I don't have a pool at home. I don't have a basketball hoop at home. None of this I have at my house, so why can't I stay? Remember, no manners. I didn't understand that when the family sat down, because my family never sat down for dinner, that was, that was your signal to leave. <laughs> that was my signal to eat. Like, I don't know what was wrong with them. <laughs> but why am I sharing all this? This was a, a wonderful family who, even though I was a young punk kid, loved me. This week, I found out on social media that Mrs. Roan uh, is in congestive heart failure. On Monday, she goes to hospice. And I was like, oh, that lady was so kind to me. And then yesterday, I found out that the sister of my friend, her husband just got diagnosed with cancer. And I was like, man. And so maybe you see her. Maybe you run into her and she's a little off and she's a little sad and she's a little crabby. And you're like, man, why are you so mean? Should people have to give us their information? Should people have to tell us, well, you know what? My mom is dying and my brother-in-law just got diagnosed with cancer. How's your day, jerk? But do we pray for others? What if we prayed twice as much as we complained? What would change? What would the outcomes be different? So my question to you is how desperate are you for God that you would pray for others? Since the day I heard about you, since the day I met you, since the day I walked past you as a guest in church, I have not stopped praying for you because I'm desperate for a move of God in your life the way he's moved in my life. So do we pray for others? Last, we look to complete instead of compete. Because we value unity, our behaviors are, we wanna complete each other instead of competing with each other. Philippians 2, three through four, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do you know what will destroy a relationship more than anything else in this world? It's comparison. Social media has not, has not been our friend when it comes to comparison. Because if it's about competing with each other, then we're like, I need to do what you do. And so what you do on your best day, that's what I need to do. So Katie Johnson, right? I'm going, I, next October, I'm going to make fingers and ketchup and spaghetti and I'm gonna make monsters on my kids' plates. Probably not. But here's the deal. I can celebrate with her and not be her. I can go, that's awesome and I love what you do for your kids. I am so sticking proud of you. Like, I love that. And we can support and encourage, but I don't have to compare that I didn't make dinner at all in October. <laughs> don't worry, Pastor Angel did. She's a very good cook, much better than me. But, but here's the deal is we get stuck in comparison. Comparison will drive a wedge between you and God because you want the blessings that he's giving to somebody else. Comparison will drive a wedge between you and your spouse because you start keeping score. Like, you know what? Three loads of laundry this week, score. Took out the trash, score. Cleaned out your car, score. And we begin to compare. Look what I did for you. You're not here to compete, you're here to complete. Just the other day, Pastor Angel was like, you know, you know she's like, boo, the, uh, the weather's really starting to change. So it's getting a little cold. That's, that's my sign. I try to do it all year, but in the winter, summer months, I may miss some time because it's, it's 85. And, 
But in the, in, the, in the winter months, I pump gas. That's my job. I love it. I do, I've done it for my girls. I've done it for, I've modeled it for Angel. I get, I'm here to serve her. But can you just imagine like me going, you know what? Here, 2024 is gonna be different, people. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna keep me a little journal. If every time I pump gas for her, January 1st, three quarters of a tank, check. January 7th, had to fill it up. Temperature outside, negative 10, check. Right, forgot winter boots, standing in slush, freezing to death. Half a tank, check. And at the end of 2024, go, look at me and all I've done. That's a bad idea. That's horrible. I'm not here to compete, I'm here to complete. Comparison will drive a wedge in all your relationships. Is what I want more important than what I can give? That's the question you should be asking yourself this morning. Is what I want more important than what I can give? We value unity, we're better together. We rally for common goals. On the front end of service, our host, man, they shared, you were like, man, you all ask for a lot. Like you, you want turkeys for Thanksgiving and you want toys for Christmas and then stand Sunday is Sunday. And man, there's a lot going on. Can I just unpack for you the value of unity and what happens when we're together? Can I just share with you some things? That we'll be close to feeding 125 full Thanksgiving meals. If Pastor Anthony and Katie went, hey, we're, we're gonna be the only ones who buy one dinner in Akron, one family will get a meal. But because it's, it's bigger and because we're unified, one becomes two, two becomes five, five becomes 10, and now we'll be over 125 full Thanksgiving meals because of your generosity. What was done by one, modeled by the multitude, feeds hundreds. So we can't do this on our own, we gotta do it together. A couple, a couple months ago, we did what was called a reverse offering. If you've never done it, it was a very cool, it was an awesome moment. So we had offering baskets and we passed them and we said cash only, and, and we started and they started passing, and then we reversed it. And we said, if anyone has a need, grab the cash out, count it. We're good with it. It's for you to take. People took, there were needs. After service, we took it, we counted it, we deposited it, said, hey, maybe, maybe you had a need, but you were just like, oh, I just didn't feel right grabbing it. It felt like a little dirty, like put my hand in and grab the money. Hey, if you have a need, let us know. Here's what I love is that after a board meeting, we met every single one of those needs and $4,500 of generosity went out. But I threw in 20 bucks. What if I was the only one who put in 20 bucks? All of those needs, I'd have been like, well, I can cut this up. <laughs> you get a dollar, you get a dollar, you get a dollar. There were some serious needs, like 700 bucks. We met that need. When I say we, collectively, we met that need. My measly $20 would have done nothing, but your 20 and your five and your 10 and your 100 created an opportunity for needs to be met. Why? That's generosity and that's because we value unity. We're better together. We talked about last week, a special missions project. We had a goal to $25,000. That $25,000 would build a birthing center in Tanzania because one out of every three children die because of inadequate facilities or equipment. There's actually an island right there in Tanzania where, where if you are a Christian and they find out you're a Christian, you're pregnant, they will take your baby, cauterize you so you cannot reproduce. But they have no facility to go to. They have to go to the witch doctor to be able to deliver the baby. The crazy thing was, there is a donor who said, if a church will give $25,000, they will give a million dollars worth of equipment. 
better together. One generous person saying, if somebody else will be generous, I will be generous. So we will physically build a building and have all the equipment in that building because $25,000. I want you to know we're, all, we're right there. We're gonna be giving $40,000 instead of $25,000 this year for our special missions project, which is awesome. But as we wrap up, let me show you better together. Let me show you better together. Are you ready? We shared last month that a professional athlete, right? He's a basketball player, not sure which one. Professional athlete said, hey, whatever comes in by November 15th, I will match up to $250,000, which means our 40 is now 80, which means we won't build one, not two, but three birthing centers in the country of Tanzania. Isn't that crazy? So your 50 or your 25 or your 100 or your 1,000, because we're better together, now is building three complete birthing centers in the country of Tanzania. That's unity. That's better together. So let me share with you as we close. I wanna read this to you because we're gonna take communion. If you don't have the supplies, I'm sure one of our hosts would love to get one for you. But I want you to grab the communion elements in your hand. And I wanna read for you Ephesians 2. This is usually not the verses that you read when you take communion because you're not gonna hear give thanks. You're not gonna hear body. You're not gonna hear blood. But I want you to hear why we do what we do and why we're taking communion. Ephesians 2 verse 11 says, therefore, remember that formerly you were you who are all Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Do you know who he's talking about there? Therefore, remember that you were, so if you're not of Jewish descent, that makes you a Gentile, which means you are a foreigner. There is a divide, but I want you to read why we take communion. It says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing the wall of hostility by abolishing it in his flesh, the law with its commandments, the Old Testament law versus New Testament grace, Jesus is demolishing that. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So whether you're far, whether you're near, we both have the same access. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, you have the same access. And then listen, it says in verse 19, consequently, Right, there's more to fall, consequently, or therefore, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but citizens with God's people and fellow members of God's household. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God, not a foreigner walking away uh, stranded because Jesus gave his life on a cross. That hostility was taken by him, by his body that hung on that cross. So there was a divide, that hostility has been broken. And since it has, our response is to give thanks. It's to give thanks, to say, Jesus, thank you, that once uh, we were way, way off. But now we're here because of what you've done. So I'm gonna pray for the elements. And when I'm done praying, all I'm gonna do is encourage you. When I'm done, when you're ready, take, take the wafer, take the juice, stand to your feet and lift, lift up a holy hand. 
that says, thank you, Jesus, for the blood that you shed. Thank you for, for the body that was beaten, that I could experience life, that, that once was hostile and once I was an alien and a foreigner, but now I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. So Jesus, thank you for the wafer, for the symbolism of your body that was beaten. Thank you for the juice that is a symbolic for the blood that was shed. So God, we don't take this moment lightly or we don't take this moment for granted. We do this in remembrance of you and we wanna honor you with our lips and our life. And so Jesus, we give thanks for it. We ask your blessing upon it. So Father, today help us lift our hands as an expression of worship to you because you are unifying us together through your life. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. When you're ready, you take and let's stand and lift up our hands.